Chapter 4 The Roommate Sometimes the solution is worse than the problem. What happens when you no longer know the difference? The Roommate The real estate agent's perfume was making me choke. As soon as I got into her car, I knew I'd made a mistake. I casually opened the passenger window and let the fresh air wash over me. Between her countless bangle bracelets, the clicking of her fake nails on everything she brushed by, and her perfume, my anxiety was in full tilt. The rain isn't bothering you? she asked. Confident that her concern was more about her leather car interior than my own comfort, I refused to take the bait. I watched her frown as I replied, I'm fine, thank you. The full-on assault to my senses was torture. Sounds, talking, smells, it all became increasingly problematic to me over the years. Perhaps problematic may be too soft of a term. Excruciating is what it was. Medications brought no relief, and therapy was impossible because it involved me in the quiet stillness of a therapist's office. With a therapist... I focused on the cool rain coming in through the car window and the falling leaves outside. Just breathe. Just breathe. I'm going to be honest with you. Her voice pierced my respite. It's like a really weird drive. I mean, it's isolated. I just want to make sure you're comfortable with it all. You should open your eyes and check this out. Oh, I asked, trying to act like I cared. Is it near a nuclear test site? A small engine repair shop? What could she possibly want me to pay attention to? Asking her was out of the question. My head was pounding. I wanted out of this car. Nearly an hour later, we began to climb up a steep hill toward a little white farmhouse that I had only since been able to study from a small photograph on the agent's website. I remember smiling at the fact that the old road had no double yellow lines. It was perfectly secluded. Untangling from my former life, my failed marriages, my failed career, the burdens of family commitments, it was all going to require a dramatic change. We finally pulled into the driveway, and I wasted no time getting out of her car. So, what did you think of the drive? Were you comfortable with what you saw? You mean the remote location, the potholed country road, and the endless forest? I looked at her blankly. You didn't notice the cemetery? she asked incredulously. Ah, yes, I did. Is there a reason for me to be bothered by a cemetery? I, I mean, aren't those the best kinds of neighbors? This was my attempt at being personable. She tapped my hand. Girl, they're your only neighbors. Can we go inside, was all I could think of to say back to her. She shook her head and grabbed her pocketbook. The bangles, the keys, the spiked heels clicking on the porch. She had nothing to be afraid of around here. She wore her perfume like an insecticide. The door needed a bit of coaxing to open, and with one last shove, we entered the house. I stood at the bottom of a small but ornate staircase. It was curious and I loved it immediately. To the right of me was the living area. I walked right past it and followed the wood floor until it changed to a green and yellow linoleum. 
The kitchen, located on the north side of the house, was dark and clearly had remained untouched since the 1940s. We flicked on some light switches until fluorescent blue lighting hummed over our heads. All the appliances work. The electricity was just turned on for the showing. You know, nobody's like lived here since, well, I don't know. It's been a long time. But as you can see, it's in excellent shape. She continued to ramble on about radon, closing costs, seller is motivated, and why on earth would anyone want to live out here? I interrupted her. I'll take it. You don't want to see the barn? The ice house? The cider house? I know I cut her tour short, and I was certain she had nowhere else to be. I felt her disappointment. If I write you a check today, will you take care of the closing details? Maybe just bring me the paperwork to sign? I'd like to make this all happen quickly. And I wanted to add, and with as little human interaction as possible, but I left that part out. She did as I asked, and from there it took only a few days to settle in. I left most of my old life behind. My most recent ex wanted the furniture, the dishes, the rugs, and so I sold it all to him, and I walked away. Freedom comes in all shapes and sizes, but for me it meant never having to eat with anyone else, or listen to anyone else, or smell anyone else. Being alone would bring me the relief that I so desperately craved. With only two bedrooms on the second floor, the biggest adjustment was negotiating the staircase for nighttime visits to the bathroom. The one and only bathroom was just behind the kitchen in what may once have been a shed. The clawfoot tub was yellowed, and the faucets resisted service, but these were all easy enough to address. Safely managing this nighttime walk while half asleep became my priority. After a few close calls on the staircase, two nightlights were placed on the route, and the problem was solved. Nearly a week had passed when I heard a truck approach. A loud beep beckoned me outside. I'm the caretaker. I'm here to check on things, a man said as he slid down from his truck. He was thin, almost concave. He made no eye contact with me whatsoever, and his hands were enormous for a small frame. I'm the new owner. Caretaking will now cease with the transfer of ownership. The authority in my voice caught me, and I tried to soften my face with a smile, which probably came across more like a grimace. It was a lame attempt, but I truly resented the intrusion. The man shook his head in response. No, 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 he said softly. His eyes remained glued to the ground. Yes, I bought this place. No caretaking needed, but thank you. He muttered something else. It sounded like, we'll see, but I couldn't be sure. Excuse me? What did you say? I asked. My response was always one of annoyance, but deeper still, I had to admit, he frightened me a little, and I didn't like it. The old man said nothing. Was he angry? Was he in need of a job? I've got to practice being more polite, I thought. He got back in his truck and started the engine. Maybe you can come and do some handiwork around this place from time to time, if you'd like, I lied. But the driver never looked at me. No response. Perhaps he never heard me over the motor. He slowly put the truck in reverse and drove away. That night, 
just before falling asleep, I thought I heard a door open. It was a quick movement, a jerk of sorts. I sat up. My imagination? After hours of strained listening, I dropped back into a fitful sleep. My first trip to town took me to the grocer, the town office, and the post office. I was relieved to see that nobody bothered me. I detested probing questions disguised as small talk, and I was mercifully spared. Subsequent trips made it clear that I was not interested in joining any community groups. I certainly didn't want to learn about the locals. It seemed a mutually agreeable arrangement, and I came and went with little to no human interaction. Later, a broken barn door and other minor repairs required me to order some hardware from the Paris Farmers Union. When the delivery notice arrived, I journeyed over to the post office counter to retrieve my boxes. Hey, uh, let's see here. Oh, your husband picked him up. The response stopped me in my tracks. I beg your pardon. There must be some mistake. I don't have a husband anymore, I answered back. Hey, uh, sure you do. He came and picked up the boxers. He was here. The post office employee was quite confident in her response, but I was about to set her straight. Like I said, I don't have a husband. Did you ask this person for any identification? Do you even know who I am? I'm telling you, there's been a mistake. Someone has my boxes who is not my husband. My voice trembled. I know exactly who you are and where you live, and I'm telling you now that your husband took those boxes home, and if you plan to be rude, I'm going to call the sheriff. Wait a minute. You're now telling me that I'm being rude because you gave my packages to a stranger. This is ridiculous. The shelves, the beeping of the package scales, and the brightness of the lights overwhelmed me, and I began to sweat. I stormed out of the post office onto the sidewalk. I took several deep breaths until I could compose myself. This needed to be settled. I spun around and moved to re-enter the building. I wanted to confront this woman again and demand that she recite my name and address and the name of my supposed husband. After two strained tugs on the door, I realized that it had been locked. My ride home did little to calm my nerves. I entered the house and walked into the kitchen. Pacing back and forth, I fought back the urge to call someone. Who would I call? My latest ex was busy with his new girlfriend. My friends really had just been colleagues, and when the business failed, those connections imploded when I leaned on a legal loophole that allowed me to avoid paying out severance. I deserved this moment of despair, and I sat with the consequences of my actions. Well, well, hotshot, you got exactly what you asked for. Tomorrow, I'm going to place my order again, and I will move on from this. That night, I heard it again, the sound of a door opening. I bolted upright. No fooling me this time. Someone was opening a door. But which door? I left my bed and made my way to the tiny hall between the upstairs bedrooms. I reached for the wall switch. Nothing happened. Had I lost the power? I looked down the stairs. The glow from the first nightlight illuminated the bottom steps, 
and I made my way toward it. As I turned the corner toward the kitchen, I felt sure I'd noticed movement. Hey, who's there? I called out. No answer. The second nightlight, which I had placed in the kitchen, gave off no light at all. Maybe a blown fuse? The resulting darkness made the entrance to the kitchen feel like a black hole. I reached my hand around into the dark room, groping along the wall for the overhead light switch. The air felt fetid and still. The wall switch eluded me, forcing me to put even more of my arm into the blackness. Seconds dragged on as my vulnerable arm continued to grope for the switch. Where is this switch? Finally, there. I flicked on the light and squinted as my eyes adjusted to the harsh fluorescent beam. Alert and pulsating with adrenaline, I scanned the room. The nightlight had been removed from the outlet and I could see it had been placed on the countertop. My kitchen table and chair had been moved from the center of the room over to the window overlooking the pitch-black yard. My mind was racing. There, my packages from the post office neatly stacked on the kitchen table right in front of me. Is it possible that I had done these things myself? and forgotten? The sheriff seemed to think so. With each window and door that he checked, he dispelled the notion that someone had broken in. There was no way to enter my home without a key. The basement has no egress, only one window too small for even a child to crawl through. I had been assured by the real estate agent that the locks on the door had all been replaced when the house was listed. No sign of illegal entry, ma'am. Nothing stolen. I'm going to advise you to get some sleep, because that is exactly what I plan to do. I turned hot with embarrassment. Actually, there, there, actually, there was a man at, at the post office. He, he, um, I stopped myself. If I am losing my mind, the sheriff will have me taken away. The sheriff, the post office clerk, they must all be having a great big laugh down at the village. I'm sure of it. What is happening to me? The next few weeks brought erratic sleep at best, and at worst, I seemed to go for days without any sleep at all. I would often hear doors opening. My one kitchen chair would slide across the floor below me at night, and I could sometimes make out the gentle clink of a dish. Whenever this happened, I never moved. I could no longer bring myself to walk the stairs down into the kitchen, only to face my internal demons again. This hypersensitivity to noise, it's getting worse. It's getting worse with isolation, not better, I told myself. My brain, it's misfiring. That, that's it. That's all it is. Trips to town became much less frequent, and I gave in to my affliction. I hardly ate barely bathed. Days melted away as I shuffled along in my bathrobe, the belt no longer able to keep the robe in place around my shrinking body. My inexplicable maneuvers became even stranger. I would pace the small house in a stupor, only to discover piles of towels in the bathtub, the axe from the woodshed wet with rain and mud now dripping on my living room carpet. Cupboard doors were left open, and books moved from the bookcase to random areas in the house. 
I must be doing this. If only I could sleep. I've got to pull myself together before I do something dangerous. Isolation had become both my comfort and my torment. The fall gave way to winter, and the cold only added to the gloom. At dusk, I would occasionally catch the lights of the snowplow. I would watch it lumber up the steep hill toward my home, push the heavy snowfall off the road, and finally turn at the end of my long driveway. This decision to turn in my driveway was my only good fortune, because it required the driver to keep the driveway clear. If not for this driver's turning maneuver, the growing snowbank would have cut me off completely from the outside world. I must admit, it also gave me comfort to see the bright lights of the truck. As the driver would slowly turn this massive vehicle around, the headlights would illuminate my front hall. The effect was spectacular, and I would watch from my rocking chair in the living room as the hall would burst into light with the power of a fireball, and then it would retreat back, pulling the shadows back over the floor like a blanket. Just recently, my obsessive rocking was interrupted by the distant vibration of the plow truck. The snow had been piling up all day, and yet I never moved, choosing instead to watch the front steps disappear under the storm. I waited with anticipation as the truck approached the end of the driveway and began the turn. Just as the fireball effect from the headlights had entered the hall, the bottom of the staircase lit up, and I saw it. Standing on the bottom step of my staircase was the form of a shadow, the blackness of its silhouette absorbed the orange light, and it shrunk back to avoid discovery. I froze in my chair. Every hair on my body prickled. My eyes watched in horror as this shadow remained still, and then suddenly it flew up the stairs. I recall hearing no sound at all. Instinctively, I gave chase. Up the stairs I followed, two steps at a time, switching on lights as I moved from my bedroom to the smaller room across the hall. I checked closets. I launched mattresses into the air. I screamed and searched until no corner of the upstairs was left unmolested. I saw you! I screamed. Then, with the absurdity of my situation fully accepted, I howled. Ha ha ha! You cannot hide from me! I saw you! Now I had proof, and it brought comfort and clarity. There is someone in this house with me, and I saw him. Emboldened, I continued the search. Then I heard the kitchen chair slam back against the wall below me. I was left standing in my upturned room with nothing but the cold silence of the snowstorm. I stood like a statue, listening for the next sound. Ah! Ah! I shouted. The caretaker! It must be the caretaker. He has the keys to this house. He's doing this to me. Morning light gave me the energy I needed to dress. I made my way to my car and started the engine. With just enough ice and snow cleared to make a porthole effect in the windshield, I coaxed the rusty old Subaru down the frozen road toward town. It did not take me long to find him. His truck was parked by the hardware store. I slammed the car into a parking spot and sprinted toward the store. He was there, standing at the counter, when I rushed toward him. 
You, I growled. You are coming into my home. I'm calling the sheriff and you will be dealt with. Do you hear me? You've been trespassing in my home. His eyes, waxy with cataracts, finally lifted to meet mine. His gaunt face was covered in stubble and his teeth and lips were stained with nicotine. You need to know, he snarled. I haven't been inside that house in years and I intend to keep it that way. How can that be? I persisted. You told me you were the caretaker. I don't take care of the house, you fool, he hissed. I take care of him and you'd better be careful. If you know what's good for you. What are you talking about? I pleaded. Who's him? He pushed me back. You heard what I said. Now consider yourself warned. And with that, he stormed off, leaving me flushed and disoriented. Driven by a determination to hide both my madness and my fear, I directed the old wagon up the hill to my prison. Once inside... I dropped my coat at the bottom of the staircase and ascended slowly to my bedroom. That room, still a ransacked mess, added to my sense of hopelessness. I walked over to the mattress, now on the floor, and I collapsed into it. Exhausted, my body shivered from the cold, and yet I did nothing to warm myself. Then, with lucid certainty, I heard footsteps, followed by the weight of someone joining me on the mattress. I did not move. I did not turn to meet the shadow. Instead, I resigned myself to my new living arrangement. The Roommate, written and performed by Bridget Emmons. Thanks for listening.